Well, every blessing to you all and welcome back to my open air pulpit. As of right now, it is around five degrees Celsius and with the wind chill, it's around three degrees Celsius. It feels like January, not November. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter two, please. And a few months ago, I said I may return to the open air pulpit, Lord willing, and do a video looking at the triune nature, the Trinity, of course, the triune nature of the one true God, because of course it is under attack like the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, like the preservation of the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, look at verse 14, if you will. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So if you speak to a particular party about the triune nature of the Lord, or sin in general, or redemption, or the new birth, or the preservation of God's word, if they're not saved, it goes right over their heads. It's like speaking to a three-year-old child about the German stock market or the Japanese uh, foreign policy towards China or how things are going in Brussels concerning the Brexit talks. It doesn't register with such a person because they are, first of all, too young to understand it and also they don't really have an interest in it because it's not their cup of tea, as they say. Natural man, natural woman, like pre-the new birth, like pre-regeneration, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They kick against it, they make fun of it, and on top of that, they are unable to perceive it, to comprehend it, because they are dead in their sins. And until you have been regenerated, the nature of Almighty God doesn't register with you, your need to be redeemed from your sin problem doesn't register with you and your whole conscious uh, your whole conception your whole conception concerning who god is doesn't register with you because you are dead in your sins neither can he or she know them because they are spiritually discerned and yet paul told us from romans chapter 1 how mankind is able to understand that God is God. Mankind is able to comprehend that there is a God. And the term which Paul uses is the Godhead, which can sometimes be in reference to the triune nature of the Lord. Other times it can be in reference to the Lord's attributes, his qualities. In plainer words, who he is and what he consists of. And yet in spite of creation, making it clear that there is a God, mankind decides to kick against it. So therefore, when it says how the natural man or woman, pre the new birth, is unable to receive the things of the Spirit of God, that goes some way in explaining why people reject the triune nature of the Lord. Because in essence, they're not saved. For they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So if you think about the Jehovah's Witnesses for one moment, go back to the 1930s, the 1940s, they had a leader called Joseph, quote-unquote, Judge Rutherford. He wasn't a judge, of course, he was a charlatan. But old Judge Rutherford didn't have much time for the Trinity, and on one occasion he said it was a freakish-looking 
three-headed God. And every time I think about that blasphemous statement, I think about Romans chapter 3, and we'll get there later, and people like Rutherford being resurrected, forced to appear at the great white throne judgments, and given accounts of himself to the one true God. Somebody once said this, they said, to try and understand the Trinity will cause you to lose your mind, but to reject the Trinity will cause you to lose your soul. A lot of truth in that. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Love him with all your heart, mind, soul and might. The religious Jews, the Hasidic Jews, the Orthodox Jews will pray at least twice a day. And when they pray twice a day, they like to quote, uh, quote Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And of course, the latter part from verse 5 was quoted, cited, uh, from the mouth of the Messiah, Mark chapter 12. But verse 4 seems to trip people up, especially those that reject, uh, or those that are in favour of the Trinity, when they come across those that are against the Trinity. And they're always taken here to verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And they say this, well, it says how the Lord our God is one Lord, not three Lords, well that's absolutely so. As a Trinitarian, I believe in, I believe in three persons, not three parts. But you have to understand that the term one is simply in reference to unity, not singleness. Keep your hand there and go to Genesis chapter 2. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And we can say that for uh, the church today. We could easily recite that. Here, the body of Christ, the Lord our God is one Lord. Also, if you think about the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, so on and so forth, that of course is a corporate prayer for the children of Israel. Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, look at verse uh, 24, if you will. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. The term one flesh means one in unity, not one in the sense of one person. And the Hebrew word here for one is the same, surprise, surprise, from 6.4. To when it says in 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Moses is simply making the case how the one true God is one in the sense of unity. Jesus would say the Father and I are one, one in purpose, one in unity. They share the same attributes. Not three parts, but three persons. And verse 5 again, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Genesis 2, 23, Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, the flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, woo-man, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Go to Isaiah chapter 40. So a man meets a woman, or a woman meets a man, and they get married, 
and the scripture says they are now one person. And over in 1 Corinthians, Paul told you that the wife didn't own her own body, and the husband didn't own his own body. In other words, a husband and a wife shouldn't deprive the other of marital relations, because as far as the Lord is concerned, they are one in a sense of unity. <coughs> They're still two literal beings, separate persons, but they are one in a sense of unity. Going back to Deuteronomy 6, 4, one God in a sense of unity. There's nothing to suggest from Deuteronomy 6, 4, how there isn't three persons in the one Godhead. And also be aware of this, that the revelation of the Trinity per se is a New Testament doctrine. Yes, you have indirect uh, citations, references from the Old Testament, but the actual doctrine itself, the revelation concerning the triune nature of the Lord is a New Testament doctrine. Matthew chapter 3 is another great example of that. When the Lord Jesus Christ was being baptized, the Father speaks from heaven, and he would say, this is my beloved Son, hear ye him, and at the same time the Holy Ghost descended like a dove and sat on his shoulder, so on and so forth. You got Almighty God appearing at the public baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 40, look at verse 28 if you will. Has thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, keep your hand there, and go to Romans chapter 9. Sometimes people like to make fun of the Lord concerning creation, uh, concerning how the Lord would rest on the uh, seventh day. He made the world in six literal days, and on the seventh day he would rest, and they say, was he tired? Did he need to take a break? And of course, you know that's a picture of the Sabbath for the children of Israel to observe. Now for today, we could say this, that the church, the body of Christ, should really observe Sunday being the first day of the week, should break bread on a Sunday to commemorate what Christ did for us. But there's nothing from the Word of God to suggest that God the Father ever got physically tired. Jesus Christ, on the other hand, as the Son of Man, would be tired, would be hungry, would be thirsty. Two natures, of course. A Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 9, look at verse 5, if you will. Whose are the fathers, and of whom, as concerned the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever, amen. God blessed forever. The Lord Jesus Christ is the express image of the invisible God. Acts chapter 20 tells us how God's own blood purchased the church, uh, redeemed us from our own sins, and of course you know that God the Father didn't die on the cross, God the Holy Ghost didn't die on the cross, but God the Son did. Christ came, who is over all. God blessed forever. Amen. I love that. So go back to uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 5 again. Has thou not known, has thou not heard, that the everlasting God, Isaiah 9, refers to the Lord Jesus Christ as the everlasting Father, the mighty God. The Lord, being Jehovah, the creator of the ends of the earth. I'll go back to Romans uh, chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. Also this term, Christ came, who is over all, God bless forever, is also 
uh, cited in a, in a different sort of a way from the Apostle Peter from the book of Acts. God blessed forever. Amen. Go to Isaiah 42. Isaiah chapter 42. A lot of people today are into twisted theology. A lot of people today are rejecting biblical truths. We were told in the last days people would fall away and on top of that would give, uh, would give heed to uh, teachers that would tickle their ears. Pretty much say what they want to say. 42 8. I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Keep your hand there and go to John chapter 17. I am the Lord. Hear Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord. One God. One eternal, all holy, loving God. Uh, John 17. John chapter 17. Look at verse 5 if you will. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So the Lord Jesus Christ is clearly affirming, number one, his deity, number two, that he would enjoy glory, his own glory with the Father, going back to before the world was. And maybe I'll get on to the eternal sonship this morning, if time allows. And now, O Father, the Son speaking to the Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Another heresy doing the rounds concerns how Jesus Christ is God the Father. Well, if Jesus Christ is God the Father, first of all, who is he speaking to? And I guess some people would say, well, he's speaking to another part of the Godhead, if you will. And they, are, they argue that Almighty God is presented in Scripture as three parts, not three persons. And they say this, that God the Father, or God, if you will, has a body, being Jesus Christ. And they say that uh, God the Father has a spirit, being the Holy Ghost. And they say that God the Father has a soul, being the Father himself. That is modalism. That is modalism. That's the crude attempt to try and comprehend who God is and they approach him with the, crude, with the crude mindset that he is three parts not three persons and they do what the Catholics almost do they fall into the same trap of being able to break the Godhead down into three parts and every time a priest holds up the wafer they believe that Christ is being made available to be consumed and the priest will consecrate the wafer in preparation for Catholics to eat the wafer. They refer to that as transubstantiation. Same sort of a thing. They believe technically that God is triune. <coughs> Excuse me, but at the same time they almost fall into the same trap of modalism. They want to break God into three parts and they want to consume part of God during their blasphemous mess of course. Go to Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43. Look at verse uh, 10, if you will. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servants whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. 
And yet people still attempt to undermine this, like the Mormons. Their greatest hope is to first of all be a holy Mormon, a very uh, decent and upright Mormon, and they hope and are desperate to become deity, and they want to be uh, forever up there in the celestial kingdom with Elohim. They refer to him as Heavenly Father, and they believe that Heavenly Father once had a human body like they do, and how Heavenly Father once had intercourse with Mary. And that's how Jesus was born. Blasphemy, of course, not to mention sheer uh, stupidity. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord. Not the Jehovah's Witnesses. This is in reference to Israel. And my servants, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Of course, this is a twofold application. It's saying that Israel, referred to as God's uh, firstborn son. Of course, Christ is also referred to as God's not only firstborn son, but his only begotten son. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. Keep your hand there, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And I think of people like uh, Rutherford, an alcoholic, a sodomite, making not only a blasphemous statement, but a foolish statement concerning the Trinity being a three-headed, freakish-looking God. He would also say that the belief in a triune God was satanic. And of course, if you reject something as sacred as the Trinity, the chances are you will lose your soul and go to hell. Of course, Rutherford was never saved to begin with, because he, along with his many millions of minions, believed that Jesus Christ is a created being. They refer to him as Michael the Archangel. They blaspheme him and they reject his deity. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, look at verse 5, if you will. For though there be that are called gods, lowercase g, whether in heaven or on earth, as there be gods many and lords many, concerning paganism, Hinduism believe in many gods, Freemasonry believe in the one big god, they refer to him as the uh, architect, the great architect of the universe, Islam believe in uh, their one God, Allah, but back in the day of Paul, going right back to the creation of the world, people have believed in many gods until the Jews were called out of paganism, going back to uh, Genesis 12, get out of Ur, get out of the Chaldeans, Abraham, start worshipping false gods, and surprise, surprise, one of the gods that Abraham worshipped, along with his descendants, was the moon god. And the Hebrews became monotheist, a belief in only one true and eternal God. Six, but to us, body of Christ, there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him. And one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. So quite clearly, Paul tells you that, yes, the world believe in many gods. That is still the case today in the UK. I guess the number one religion is probably sports. Then it would be pornography. Then it would be uh, entertainment or alcohol or computer games, I guess, in that particular order. The belief in oneself, that's really, I guess, where we are now heading. I can do this, I can do that. I am a pretty decent person. 
And of course, after that, you've got the science religion, which is taught in every school, college and university. And if you dare question it, you're out on your ear. For though there be that are called gods, verse 5, whether in heaven or in earth, from the standpoint of those on the planet that we all live on, they say, well, my God is in heaven. They say, I swear to God. They say, as God is my witness, who are they swearing by? Who are they calling out to? Their deity in heaven, of course. As there be gods many and lords many. Going back to entertainment, pornography, alcohol, drugs, tobacco, so on and so forth. But to us, those that are redeemed, those that have been regenerated, going back to what he told you from chapter 2, how the natural man or woman is unable to receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he receive them, perceive them, because they are spiritually discerned. One God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Go to Isaiah 43. So let's say you have a family business run by father, uncle, and son, or father and two sons. And they have their head of paper, and it's Smith and Sons. You've got Smith Senior, Smith Junior 1, Smith Junior 2. And every time a letter comes from that company, you've got three names embossed at the top of that letter. And yet they're all equal. Father and his two sons, they all have to countersign the checks. They all have access to the safe. They are all equal, but somebody's name has to go up on the screen first. This was a problem for Hollywood uh, back in the 19... late 30s, when they started to make the talkies, and going into the 1940s. Whose name do we put at the beginning of the picture? We've got these leading actors, actresses, and after a while, they got into a bit of a spin. They would say along the lines of, well, Clark Gable should really go first. He's been around a long time. Or Spencer Tracy should really go first. Or Kirk Douglas, uh, Kirk Douglas should also go first. Fast forward to today. Well, Tom Hanks should really go first. Or John Travolta should really go first. Or Tom Cruise should really go first. And somebody came up with the idea, well, let's put it, let's put the names Let's put the credits in alphabetical order. And that deals with the ego issue, you see. Isaiah 43, look at verse uh, 25, if you will. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and will not remember thy sins. That's why you are saved and redeemed. Not for your sake, but for the Lord's sake. The atonement, in a nutshell, concerns the Father and the Son. The atonement doesn't concern you or I. Let's say we go to a restaurant and we have a nice meal and at the end of the meal we realize that we've left our credit cards, our debit cards at home. We've got no money on us. Excuse me. And there's a great panic. What are we going to do? And somebody in the restaurant says, if you don't pay by such and such a time, I will phone the police. And we all start worrying start to decide what we're going to do. We can't run out of the restaurant. There's 
uh, all the staff are watching us, they've got staff and all of the exits, so on and so forth, and the, the clock is ticking down, and then all of a sudden somebody steps into the picture, gets their credit card out, I will pay your bill for you, your meal, and they check their credit card and it's heaven 777. And they say to one another, this is a very strange credit card, heaven 777. And of course the credit card is presented on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. He pays your meal for you and you say thank you very much. You can jump up and down as much as you like. You can do cartwheels, you can dance, you can sing and praise him and thank him as much as you will. But he covered it for you anyway. Yes, it's nice to be thankful and grateful. It's nice to appreciate what he has done for you. But ultimately, he did it not just to show you his lovingness, but he did it to please his Father, Father and the Son. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake. Going back to the precious blood of Almighty God. And will not remember thy sins. So, if you think of religious, uh, religious people in general, and I'm talking about those who aren't saved, they don't believe in grace through faith in Christ alone. They kick against it, and every so often you'll meet people in the streets who will give you a tract, or you may come across a video online, or you may visit a church in question, and it all starts off very well. Who are you? When were you saved? Are you born again? So on and so forth. And after a while you start to fit into that church or that ministry online, or whoever it may be, wherever that person may be, and then down the line, they start to backload the gospel. They start to add to the gospel of the grace of God. I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake. This goes back to the Father sending the Son, and the Son sending the Spirit. And will not remember thy sins. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far your sins are being put out of the sights of the Lord. Go to 1 John 5, please. So like I say, if you were a Hollywood star, the way to get around the clash of egos was to put people's names up on the screen in alphabetical order. And that is what they now do most of the time. Not always, but most of the time. And also when it comes to documentaries or TV shows. Father, Son and Spirit three eternal, co-equal members of the one true Godhead. And in Scripture, the Father gets listed first, followed by the Son, followed by the Spirit. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Look at verse 20, if you will. And we know that the Son of God is come, and hath given us an understanding, that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. We know that the Son of God has come, speaking from the standpoint of being an eyewitness, of course, and hath given us an understanding, new birth, that we may know him that is true, the just shall live by faith for today, of course, and we are in him that is true, we are in the Son, and the Father, and the Spirit of God. And we are in Him, that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is a true God 
and eternal life. True God and eternal life. Go to Isaiah 44, please. Isaiah 44. Isaiah 44. Look at verse 6, if you will. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, Elohim, comma, and his Redeemer, Saviour, the Lord of hosts, Jehovah of hosts, another great verse for the Lord's deity, I am the first and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Keep your hand there and go to Revelation chapter 1. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. That beautiful hymn penned by an old Anglican. Because when it comes to the triune nature, or the triune God, they all share the same title. And that title, of course, is Lord. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Revelation uh, chapter 1, Revelation chapter 1, look at verse 8 if you will. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was, which is to come, the Almighty. Old Job referred to the Lord as the Almighty, and also uh, Ruth, make that Naomi, excuse me, Naomi, would say how the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. And that wonderful account concerning Ruth uh, becoming a Jewess. She was a Gentile, of course, and she became a Jewess. A great picture of people that are saved today are neither Jew nor Gentile. I am Alpha and Omega, the first letter and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. The beginning and the ending saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Eternity past. Time, eternity, future. And yet we all think we can comprehend the Trinity. We can't. Or we like to think we can comprehend the Godhead. And we can't. And therefore, what do we do? Well, if we are as foolish as Rutherford, we kick against it. We condemn it. We insult it. And one day, they'll be judged. And we get to uh, Romans chapter 4, very shortly. Go to Isaiah 41, Isaiah 41, scripture with scripture, Isaiah 41, Isaiah 41, look at verse 4 if you will. Who hath wrought and done it, calling the generations from the beginning, I the Lord, the first and with the last, I am he. First and the last, I am he. And yet people will continue to ridicule the Lord's deity, being Jesus Christ, and also the Holy Ghost, and the Jehovah's Witnesses are the worst for doing this. They say that the Holy Ghost is God's active force. The Charismatics say the Holy Ghost is our bellboy. We call him when we want some goodies, and he uh, comes to our call. They call that not only the prosperity gospel, uh, but the word of faith. And these people believe they can actually speak words into actions, they go back to the creation account, let there be a light, and there was light, and they think they are like God, little gods. Because Almighty God, the one true eternal God, spoke the universe into being, these people think they can do similar sorts of things, like the Mormons, who are desperate to become God-like. Uh, Isaiah 44, 
Isaiah 44, Isaiah 44, look at verse 8 if you will. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time, and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. So in the mindsets of the Jews, first and foremost, when they wrote the Old Testament, they knew there was only one true, eternal God. But it's like this. Let's say I was the devil. I would do several things. For example, I would create many religions, and he's done just that, going back thousands of years. And I would have truths. I would retain truths, because you have to attract people that are looking for the truth, people that love righteousness. But I would also mix in falsehood, heresy, errors. And this is where a lot of people get stuck. And they say this, well, the Trinity is a Catholic doctrine, which is incorrect, but they believe it nonetheless. Or they say this, well, original sin is an Augustine doctrine, which is incorrect. Just for the record, the term original sin may have been coined by Augustine. The term Trinity may have been coined by Tertullian, but the doctrine of the Trinity is scriptural. The doctrine of original sin being the fallen nature or the fallen state that we all live in is scriptural. So don't cut your nose off to spite your face. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater just because you've got a couple of guys, whether Augustine or Tertullian, creating terms or definitions to describe biblical truths. But if I was a devil, I would adopt truths, like I say, to attract those who are looking for the truth and also drop in falsehoods like priestly successions, like transubstantiation again, or like praying to Mary, or praying to the saints, and all that nonsense. Mix it all up, you see. Because the devil, if you don't know, will take worship any way he can. So 44.8 again. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house so many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. Same sort of a thing, isn't it? Have not I told thee from that time, and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. Go to 45, chapter 45. Uh, 45. 45. 45, 5. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. You can't miss it, can you? One God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, in the sense of unity, not in the sense of singleness. Man meets woman, become one flesh, so on and so forth. Still two human beings, but they are one in the sense of essence, unity. Look at verse 18. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, 
God himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it, he created it, not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. 22. Look unto me, and be ye saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. Go to Matthew chapter 11. So, Abraham was called out of the Chaldeans. And like I say, he worshipped many gods. And one of the gods that he worshipped would be... Uh, the moon god, Allah, and after a while he met the one true god, Jehovah, and he was forever changed. Throughout the next several centuries, the Jews were officially monotheist, but of course they also would become guilty of idolatry, polytheism, like Solomon, for example, and the Lord would punish them, chastise them, bring them back into fellowship with him, and by the time the Lord Jesus Christ had arrived, they were all monotheist. Matthew uh, 11, Matthew 11, Matthew 11, look at 28 if you will. Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Go to Isaiah 46. So one God, in the Old Testament, specifically, uh, specifically calling out to the children of Israel, New Testament, calling out to Jew and Gentile. First and foremost, to the Jews, of course, because Jesus Christ was Jewish, and also calling out to the Gentiles, which, of course, uh, become the people of God along with the Jews and we are now one in Christ again that term one uh, Galatians chapter 3 in a sense of uh, unity not in the sense of singleness Isaiah 46 Isaiah uh, 46 look at verse 9 if you will remember the former things of old for I am God and there is none else I am God and there is none like me there is none like me there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times are things that are not yet done. Prophecy, of course. Say, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. In other words, you can't reverse the Lord's sovereignty. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executed my counsel from a far country. Yea, I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it, I will also do it. So, if you want to be reassured concerning the sovereignty of the Lord, concerning the honesty of the Lord, concerning his promise to preserve, whether it's the scripture or your souls, you have no reason to doubt. By the grace of God, we have been predestinated to be conformed to the image of his Son, going back to how he has redeemed us for his own sake. Going back to the credit card analogy, heaven 777. And he makes payments with his credit card. And they all say, we've never seen a credit card like this before. It went straight through. And you can say, thank you, Lord, for saving me. Nothing wrong with that. You can jump up and down. Nothing wrong with that. You can do cartwheels, the splits, do what you will. Nothing wrong with that. But it doesn't change the fact that he has already made an atonement for the whole world. It says how God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing 
not imputing their trespasses unto them. And hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. We beseech you in Christ Jesus, be you reconciled to God. In other words, get saved. Go to uh, 47, please. 47, uh, 47, 4. As for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, is his name, the Holy One of Israel. That term, Holy One of Israel, if you read the uh, Catholic Church's Catechism from 1994, they say that Mary is the Holy One. But here the Holy One of Israel is in reference to Jesus Christ, not Mary. Going back to, if I was a devil, what would I do? Well, I would create a religion or two, and I would mix it all up like they do, like he has done, and I would have truth and also error. And like I say, you have to have truth in there to attract those that are looking for the truth. Going back to how best to, cons uh, to confuse people and mix it all up, like I say, and people say, well, we know we're in the one true church. They always use that term and they start to give all their reasons. And you say, well, you may have the Trinity right and you may have the virgin birth right and you may have the miracles right. And yes, they believe all of those things, incidentally. The Church of Rome officially, or at least they used to, believed in the Trinity, the virgin birth, the resurrection, the miracles, uh, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, even the second coming. Of course, the Jesuits for now, who pretty much dominate the Catholic Church believe in what's called Omega Point. But up until recent times, up until recent times, a, a Catholic, especially when my parents were at school, were, to, were taught to believe in the Trinity, virgin birth, resurrection, so on and so forth, but the other stuff which they believe, like Mary worship, like purgatory, or penance, or indulgences, are clearly false. And on top of that, would be a great abomination. As for our Redeemer, in the context, Israel, for now, still similar to, uh, for the church, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. Of course, for the New Testament, the term Lord of hosts doesn't appear. The Holy One of Israel doesn't appear. These are strictly speaking Old Testament terms uh, between Jehovah and the Jews. 48.12 48.12 Hearken unto me, O Jacob and Israel, my called. I am he, I am the first, I also am the last. Go to Revelation 22. There are so many references uh, from the Old Testament speaking about the one true God and the writers of the New Testament when they get their hands or when they cite those references from the Old Testament apply them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, for the Old Testament, it is in reference to many times, but not always, many times, God the Father. And for the New Testament, they are applied to God the Son. Because again, God the Son and God the Father share the same attributes. There's nothing different between them. If you were to see or hear the Lord Jesus Christ, what came out of his mouth would be the same which would have come out of the mouth of God the Father. But again, three persons, one God, not three parts. Revelation uh, 22, Revelation uh, 22, look at 13. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. In other words, outside of me, there is no one, there is nothing. 
outside of me, there was nowhere else to go. So when it comes to the Holy Ghost, allow me to say a couple of things. You can grieve the Holy Ghost, Ephesians 4.30. You can quench the Holy Ghost, 1 Thessalonians 5.19. You can lie to the Holy Ghost, Acts chapter 5. Go to John chapter 12, please. John chapter 12. So there are three areas, three subjects, three attributes that the one eternal God will enjoy. Omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence. John chapter 12. John uh, chapter 12. Look at verse 28. If you will. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Father, Son speaking to the Father, Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Go to Isaiah 48. Isaiah 48. Three persons, one God. Not three parts. Going back to the Catholics and their Mass. Or going back to Mormons and their hopes, vain hopes, to become deity. Or going back to Rutherford, that freakish, three-headed God. And that will come back to haunt him one day, I guarantee you. In fact, here's the irony of it all. Let's say you are no longer a Trinitarian. Or let's say you've never been a Trinitarian. Let's say you are a oneness or a modalist. By your rejection of the triune God, whether you like it or not, you are now in the camp of the cults. You're now a bedfellow of the Jehovah's Witnesses, especially. 48... 16, Isaiah 48, 16. Come ye near unto me, hear ye this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, from the time that it was. There am I. And now the Lord God and his Spirit hath sent me. The Son is speaking. Lord God, Father, and his Spirit hath sent me. Father sends a Son. Son sends the Spirit. And again... This goes back to the uh, one true God enjoying omniscience, omnipresence, and omnipotence. Go to Acts chapter 10, please. Acts uh, chapter 10. It's sometimes difficult to turn the pages when the wind picks up, so bear with me. Acts chapter 10. Acts uh, chapter 10, Acts chapter 10, uh, look at verse 19 if you will. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee, arise therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. So the Spirit is speaking, the Son is speaking, the Father 
is speaking. Spirit said unto him, 19, Behold, three men seek thee. 20, Arise therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing. For I have sent them. I have sent them. Go to Psalm chapter 90, please. Uh, Psalm chapter 90. Omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence, omnipresent. All-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere at the same time. Going back to some say there are gods, uh, some say there are lords, so on and so forth. But to those of us which are saved, to those of us which have been regenerated, there's only one God. Only one God. Uh, Psalm 90, look at verse... Two, if you will. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Before the mountains were brought forth, in time of course, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Now you can't comprehend this. If you try and get your head around the fact that God has always been and will always be, your head will just start to spin. Going back to trying to comprehend the triune nature of the Lord, if you're not careful, you'll lose your mind. And if you reject the triune, eternal, co-equality of the triune God, you will probably end up losing your soul as well. Go to Micah chapter 5, please. Micah uh, chapter 5 in the UK. It's very fashionable to be uh, anti-Christian and it's very uh, fashionable to be pro-Islam. And it's also very ironic when you come across Muslims uh, teaming up with oneness people or modalists to attack the Trinity. And you say, why do they do that? Well, for the Muslims, they don't like the idea uh, that God could do something which or that he would be able to exist in a way they can't comprehend. And because of that, they kick against it, going back to the Jehovah's Witnesses. And therefore, if you've got anti-Trinitarians attacking the Trinity, that's bad enough, but it's even worse uh, when they use Islamic arguments against the Trinity. Talk about treachery. Micah chapter 5. Look at verse 2, please. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though there be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee should he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, so Psalm 90. God is everlasting to everlasting. In reference to the Father here, the Son is of old from everlasting. Go to Hebrews uh, chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9.
12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling, the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more to the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirits offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So again, three verses to prove that Father, Son and Spirits are eternal. And again, your salvation is based on the precious blood of Christ and not your good works, not going to church, not being baptized or confirmed. First Peter chapter one, look at verse five, if you will, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That's a power of the Lord, omnipotence. Go to second Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 9. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. In reference to Christ, of course. Go to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Look at verse 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. I go to... Jeremiah chapter 17, so Father, Son and Spirit are all powerful, Father, Son and Spirit are eternal. Now they can read your minds. Go to uh, Jeremiah, being omniscient of course, omniscient, uh, Jeremiah 17, uh, Jeremiah 17, And it's my belief that as you get nearer to the return of the Lord, more and more people are going to apostatize. Uh, more and more people are going to kick against not only the Trinity, but the virgin birth, the resurrection, the rapture especially. And how the King James Bible is God's perfect preserved word uh, for the last days for the English speaking people. Jeremiah 17, uh, Jeremiah 17, look at verse 10. I, the Lord, search the hearts. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruits of his doings. God the Father speaking. Go to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Now the wind is really picking up. But I have started, so I must conclude. Revelation chapter 2, uh, Revelation chapter 2, look at 23 if you will. And I will kill her children with death, 
and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. Jesus Christ speaking. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The Father can read your thoughts, can look at your heart. The Son can read your thoughts, look on your heart, and so too can the Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man, but the spirits of God. And finally, omnipresence, everywhere at the same time. Go to Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23, you are told to contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Uh, Jeremiah 23, please. Uh, 24. Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? Father speaking. To fill heaven and earth means he's everywhere at the same time. Go to Matthew 18. Look at verse 20, if you will. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Jesus speaking. Go to Psalm 139. 7. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. In reference to, of course, the Holy Ghost found in verse 7. Go to Romans chapter 3 and I will close. Romans chapter 3. So Rutherford, like I say, not only rejected the triune nature of the one true God, kicked against it, ridiculed it, and now Muslims are joining in with his rhetoric. Anti-Trinitarians are joining in with such rhetoric. The Church of Rome officially still believes in the triune nature of the Lord, but unofficially they probably don't. They now are into the Omega point thanks to the evil Jesuits. Uh, Romans chapter 3, please. It's a beautiful day if it wasn't so windy, making it very cold. Uh, Romans 3, 4. God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. So, at the great white throne judgment, believe it or not, people are going to be summoned to stand in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, and people like uh, Rutherford are going to be resurrected to stand in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And before they are sent into hell forever, the Lord is going to say something along the lines of, So, Mr. Rutherford, you said I was a freakish-looking, 
three-headed God. You said the doctrine of the Trinity was a satanic blasphemy. You made fun of my nature, which I share with my father and the Holy Ghost, and Rutherford will be quaking in his boots. He'll be somewhere in outer space, according to Revelation chapter 20. Elsewhere, you were told oh, how, uh, how every mouth will be stopped. If you go back to the Gospels, multiple occasions when people spoke to the Messiah, they tried to trip him up, they tried to attack him, sometimes physically, but mostly uh, verbally. And every time they put a question to him, he would say, it is written, it is written, it is written. Other times he would quote himself, because of course he is the Word of God. You have the living Word of God, being Jesus Christ, and the written Word of God. And Revelation 19 says, when Christ returns, he comes back as the Word of God, combining the living Word of God with the written Word of God. And every time he came up against uh, Sadducees and Pharisees and unpleasant people for the most part, many times religious, like the JWs and the Muslims, and the oneness and the modalists, he shut their mouths. Never once did he struggle to answer their questions, and yet on several occasions they couldn't answer his questions. And therefore, when it says how the Lord is going to be judged, it does seem to appear that at the great white throne judgment, when all of the unsaved wicked are resurrected to stand in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, he told us from John 5 how all judgment has been delegated to him. These people are going to have their say. I can't imagine what they're going to say, but they're going to have their say. And you'll have atheists there, of course, trying to put the Lord right, trying to preach the science religion. You'll have Catholics there, like Jesuits and Dominicans, trying to argue how they killed millions for Holy Mother Church, hoping that they were right to do so, that, uh, that somehow the Lord would uh, congratulate them, only to find he will condemn them. And the Oneness Brigade are going to be there. But we thought that the Spirit was Jesus, we thought that the Father was Jesus. Or turn it around, we thought that God the Father was Jesus, we thought Jesus was God the Father. Or we thought that Jesus Christ was the Holy Ghost incarnate. And he will say, no, I never told you that. I told you time after time, in both Testaments, how there's only one true, eternal God. And yet you people rejected it, going back to how the natural man, natural woman, doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God. Why not? For they are foolishness unto him. They think that the Trinity is foolish. And some of these people think that the deity of Christ is foolish, or the deity of the Holy Ghost is foolish. And why is that the case? Because they are spiritually discerned, unregenerate, dead in their sins, and therefore, that's why it says over in Matthew 7, 21 to 23, how many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have you not prophesied in thy name? and done many wonderful works in thy name. And I will say to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, those of you which do, or those of you, those of you which practice lawlessness. Is that a rainbow behind me I can see? Very fortuitous. And those people are going to go to hell forever because they were never saved to begin with. Now let me say this, if you aren't sure 
about the Trinity, that's fair enough. If you're not sure about the deity of Christ, that's fair enough. If you're not sure about the deity of the Holy Ghost, that's fair enough. If you are a new Christian, that's fine. All these things will come to you. Down the line, in fact, I've got a tract here, which deals with the revelation of the Lord. It's from Romans 1, 20, and I want to read it very briefly, if I may. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. That's one of our tracks, by the way, if you are interested. And here Paul is making the case that such people, not those who are saved and are struggling to work all this out, it will come in time, don't worry, but this from Romans chapter 1 verses 20 to 21 is concerning those that are perpetually rejecting the light from heaven, Christ is the light of the world, and are embracing darkness. It could be Islam, it could be Catholicism, it could be the oneness position or the modalist position it could be evolution it could be anything outside of biblical christianity and for those people paul says they know that god is god and even the word godhead is used which like i said a few moments ago or maybe 50 minutes ago now the term godhead can refer can refer uh, to the trinity but most of the time it refers to god's attributes going back to his omniscience omnipotence and omnipresence how he loves righteousness and hates evilness or evil and it's always very interesting to me if you go back to the 1940s for example or the 1960s when some awful incidents took place uh, concerning the murder of police officers in different parts of the world and the police would consult their informers as to who killed, murdered certain police officers, and it took place in the UK uh, as late as the 1980s. I think there were three or four police officers that were killed in South London. Made the 1960s, excuse me, 1960s. And it was such a shock to people in the uh, underworld, the criminal world, that they came forward and said to the police, yes, we think it was such and such, and names were put forward, and the police tracked those guys down and they were arrested. The point I'm making is this. People are morally conscious. People have a barometer. People know right from wrong. No matter how far you stray from the Lord, going back to the fallen state, going back to original sin, no matter how far or how sinful you are, there's something still inside of you that knows the difference between right and wrong. Of course, people will suppress unrighteousness. They will embrace godlessness, sinfulness, so on and so forth, because they are born in sin, original nature. And yet, when awful crimes are being committed around the world, when the police put the word out, put the feelers out, people come forward and they start to work with law enforcement because although they are unsaved, and are lost, they are still moral cre uh, creatures. Moral creatures because they are made in the image of God. So 
this will be my video for the day from the open air pulpits a bitterly cold and windy day and like I say if you are attacking the Trinity in uh, ignorance quit doing it and if you're doing it intentionally look out because you will be called to appear at the great white throne judgment you will have to give an account of yourself to the Lord Romans 1 says you know better but you are ignoring it you are suppressing it and it could be that you are doing so because you're not saved 1st Corinthians chapter 2 if you are saved and yet struggling to sort out these uh, theological issues keep studying keep praying and the Lord will uh, assist you I'll say this also finally one of my future projects is to look at atheism and I wonder sometimes what people must think they come across a church for example or a minister or a youtuber for example who has now apostatized is teaching heresy and they cross the street with him and they follow him into a ditch in a theological sense only to then be shocked that such a person crosses back and goes back to for example Trinitarianism or other conservative biblical subjects leaving that crowd scratching their heads and this took place concerning famous atheists who spent their whole careers attacking creation and yet they too Romans 1 knew that a creation always presupposes a creator and those men were attacking creation especially Christianity for a long period of time got many disciples to follow them and then one day some of those good old reprobates crossed the street had a change of heart you see became theists and all their disciples are scratching their heads saying what is going on we've been cheated we've turned our backs on Christianity especially and now these good old atheists some of them Cambridge Oxford professors have had a change of mind they're no longer atheists they're theists a bit like Salvador Dali and I'll discuss him next time and all that crowd stunned and shocked what's going on didn't Karl Marx disprove God only to then be told that there is a God we've all been deceived and I wonder how many people across the street from Trinitarianism to the oneness position the modalist position or the Aryan position demote Jesus Christ kick him out of the Godhead demote him to the office of a good man like Islam or a rabbi like Judaism or eat him alive every mass during every mass transubstantiation only to then for some of those people anyway have a change of heart and come back to classical Christianity this is the damage that false teachers do this is the damage that heretics do and false teaching does it messes with the minds of people and I've seen it many times people families groups 
communities completely messed up, confused, stunned, only to then end up saying, well, I'm going to become agnostic. If that's religion, you can keep it. And that's what the devil wants, don't you see? That's what the devil wants. He hates you, and he really does hate you, and he knows he's going to hell. He says he knows that he has little time. And therefore, what's he going to try and do? Take as many people to hell with him as possible, and he'll do that by attacking the nature of God. The greatest sin in Scripture is a sin of idolatry. False worship. Incorrect worship. Slandering the Lord. Attacking the Lord. God will put up with the sins of his children, sins of the flesh. But when it comes to idolatry, when it comes to blaspheming the Trinity, calling it a freakish, three-headed God, a satanic doctrine, he won't wear it. This is why it's so important, if you are a professing Christian, to get this straight. Get your theology straight. Get the nature of God straight. Don't become a oneness or modalist and don't become guilty of Arianism, the belief that Jesus Christ isn't God or was a begotten God, which I won't discuss today. I'm now out of time. And you become a full-blown heretic. And like I said, many times over the years, you end up uh, preaching another gospel, a false gospel, and a cursed gospel. And when you do that, your disciples, your followers, are going to go straight to hell upon death. So please, get yourself straight. Quit preaching heresy. Quit your blasphemy. Repent. Get yourself straight and come back to the Lord. And if you are saved but not sure about what I've discussed, pray more and study the Bible more at your own leisure. And I promise you that the Lord... The Lord of glory will reveal his ultimate truth to you. But I will go back to Romans 1, how you already know. Going back to Romans chapter 1, verses 20 to 21. You've got a blockage of some kind. You are suppressing the truth for different reasons. Maybe you're not saved. Maybe you are saved. I don't know. But if you want to know the truth, the truth giver will reveal more of his truth to you. And the truth shall set you free and you should be free indeed. And on that note, may the Lord bless you all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.